You know, in prayer this morning, Cam started to pray, and uh, well, it was a slash prayer slash teaching. But he was uh, he was making this point in his prayer that we're free from superstition. You know what superstition is? It's uh, it's really an attachment to what the Bible calls the beggarly elemental principles of the earth. Beggarly elemental, which is there's there's certain uh, certain kinds of principles that people abide by. You know, you'll see hockey players or sports figures who who sort of lace their skates the same way, have the same routine. Where did that come from? That that comes from this false attachment that a that an, an effective game some years previously was somehow predicated upon a certain order in their preparation. And, uh, and that, that's, that sort of settles on you in the absence of a personal God. It, it, it sort of buys into this idea that there's random energies at work and somehow we can align with them, hopefully by doing the right things, but it's all pretty much a mystery. And we're, we're kind of a... We're, we're, we're blowing in the wind here. There's no predictable manner in which we can be assured to have the outcomes that we want. So we, we try and we hope. And what he was beginning to say is that basically this, that the secrets of God are mysterious only until they're not. You know, I was watching this little... Uh, Revelation of a, a magician's trick, you know, how they, they put somebody behind a curtain for a half a second and they're all locked up and all of a sudden, boom, they walk out and then the person who was put them in is now locked in there. I mean, oh, it's how, so mysterious until you see it from above and it's just such a simple little trick, such a visual deception suddenly the mystery has gone out of it. God has invited us behind the veil. Realize this, that this is the excitement that we have. He's invited us behind the veil. And what we're doing this morning as we're worshiping him is we're entering to where he is so we can see from the behind the veil. So we can see from his perspective. So the mysteries, the confusion, the, the ifs, ands, or buts, the randomness of faith and consequence and cause and effect can be, can be laid low. And we can begin to see the world in a tangible, predictable manner. And that gives us authority and control and freedom. Well, this is Father's Day today. And uh, one of the secrets, one of the secrets of uh, mastering the affairs of the earth is honoring your father and your mother. Well, let me just say this quickly, and you might have seen my post this morning on Facebook. Mother's Day, Mother's Day is one of the top two celebrated holidays or days of the year. Christmas is number one. Mother's Day is number two. Halloween is number six. Father's Day is way down the list. 
at number 20. Number 20. <laughs> are, really, are mothers really that much better than fathers? I mean, mothers are amazing. <laughs> but, you know, what gives? What gives, right? What, what's, what's the deal here? So I just wrote this, and I said, Father's Day ranks 20th in importance relative to other celebrated days. This reluctance to honor may seem justifiable, or it might be a manifestation of the vehement warfare bent on the destruction of the family. It may also represent the fury with which hell rebels against our Heavenly Father. Either way, let's bless those natural and spiritual fathers who may not have given us what we wanted, but gave us something we needed. They may not, your father, and there's a range of possibilities. Your father may not have given you what you wanted. He may not have been a good father, but he gave you something that was required and something that was needed. And the evidence statistically across the nations in the inner cities is that just the mere presence of a father, good or bad, makes a drastic difference in the outcomes of your life. So let's celebrate and honor whatever version of a father we had. Listen, let me just, you know what struck me this morning? Jesus was raised by a stepfather. And so you may feel like, oh, my family was not the model family. My family wasn't the classic version. Jesus did not have a classic version. You may think, well, yeah, but he still had a better man. At least there was a male in the house. Whatever hand we were dealt, there's something to be grateful for. And there's something to honor and something to bless. And the power of it is that it'll bring us above the fray of the confusion and the warfare and the destruction that's in the nation. So, Father, this morning as we worship you, Holy Father, perfect Father, Father, we want to bless every version as limited as they were, that we were exposed to, that we were given, that we walked through. And Father, we pray that we would be the answer to the next generation, that we would escape the pitfalls that befell the fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers and pay it forward to be the kinds of fathers that our grandchildren need, that our children need to change the inheritance of future generations. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Father, we declare this morning that your name is great. We declare this morning that the lightning of your presence breaks through the demonic darkness. We say in Jesus' name, we say to principalities and powers, you will not prevail, that your fate has been assigned to you before the foundations of the earth. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Father, we pray that in this season you would raise up a mighty company 
of warriors, Lord, who bring the light of day to the nations of the earth, Father, and make us, Lord, weapons, tools in your arsenal, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, Chris Bannis is back from Georgia. Not Georgia, but Georgia. Well, uh, I'm going to try not to be too long today because we've got a few people that are going to share. I mean, this has been amazing. Uh, It's lovely to see teams going out, and we're going to see more of that. But, um, you know, there's so so many elements to what what is done in ministry. And uh, some of the most... Some of the most obvious things are sometimes, though, the least important. And so I want to I share about a theme today. I'm going to build on something I talked about a few weeks ago, but let me just pray. Father, thank you, God, that you have a plan. Father, you have a strategy, not only for changing individual lives, but, Father, you are dealing with nations. Father, you will gather the nations before your throne, sheep nations and goat nations, and you will judge the nations, Father, as collective bodies of people. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that we would not only be thinking today about our individual destiny, our individual ministry, our individual welfare, but the welfare of the nation in which you have placed us here, Canada, Father, we want to think of the welfare of the city of Spruce Grove and Edmonton region. We want to think about the welfare of Parkland County. We want to think about the welfare of Alberta. Father, if there is a way that you can use us to shift the destiny of a nation, a city, uh, a province, Father, I pray, use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, there is, uh, there's so many things we could say uh, about, about ministry, but I feel like God has called this church in particular to think more than about our individual destinies, to think more th- than about our individual role in this thing called the church or, or you know, whatever place you find yourself in the social order of the church or the spiritual order in terms of authority. You may look at others, you think, well, this person has this and I, I don't have that. Let me tell you, we are collectively a part of something. And this morning, you may not realize it, but this morning we have tasted of some of the warfare... Listen, we are facing atmospheres in the spirit. And we have a destiny to change atmospheres first. And I'm not going to review everything I've talked about before, but you've heard me talk about metaspheres. And, and the nature of the way that God conquers regions is he starts by changing atmospheres first. Atmospheres are symptomatic of the conditions of the people living in the land. Listen, when I first went to Russia uh, or the Soviet Union, I landed in Latvia for the first time. It was the most depressing, dark, gray, colorless world I had ever seen. I didn't even know that it was possible. And, uh, and I remember thinking, this is, the heaviness was palpable. 
And I thought, uh, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Like, what, is, it, is it the grayness, the dullness, the lack of color that's, that's resulting in this oppressive, you know, oppression of, of hopelessness? Like, is, it, is there this squelching power in the atmosphere? Is it because there's no color? Or did the colorlessness emerge because of an atmosphere that moved in? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Now, here, here's the promise that we have. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That means the way that God is measuring success is atmospherically. He said, listen, I'm going to change the air that you breathe. I'm going to change the atmosphere over your cities, over your nations. And, and for some of us, that may be a surprise. For some of us... You know, we don't even relate to atmosphere. But for me, I want you to know that, that I live and breathe atmosphere. When I, I remember, and, and people with strong prophetic gifts, that's the way they operate. I remember just uh, last year, Wendy and I were in Kelowna, and we were driving through a certain back part. We were with John and Pam uh, Lowndes. We were driving through this back part over to, I can't remember, we were going to back to our hotel or whatever. But we went through this, this area, and as soon as we went through it, I felt like, boom, I just felt this shift of atmosphere, and it got suddenly a lot better. Suddenly a lot better when we crossed this threshold, and I, I remember thinking, oh, hey, this is fresh. How actual is that? Well, within 20 seconds after that, John says to me, did you feel that? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I felt it. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, ah, whatever. <laughs> you, you can't be that sensitive to atmospheres. Well, you, you absolutely can. This stuff is real. And it may not be your gift to be awakened to these specifically, but you as a saint, as a born-again person, have a capacity to interact with atmospheres because you are designed to create atmospheres. You are designed to shift atmospheres. Every single one of us are, are designed to do that. That's what a mother and a father do in a home. We're, we're the first and primary thing we're called to do is shift atmospheres. Have you ever walked in the, the house after work one day and the kids are all, you know, kind of, right? As a father, you want to shift that atmosphere. You know, this is intolerable. Don't talk to your mom that way. Don't talk to your siblings that way. You know, you, you do what you can in the natural to change the emotional equation of the room. But beyond the emotional equations of rooms, there are spiritual dynamics that determine what is there and what isn't there. And so we're meant to bring people into the freedom of atmospheres. This is why people come into churches and they, they say, wow, how awesome is this place? This is great. There's an anointing here. There's a presence here. There's a liberty here. There's a lightness here. Well, you're not there just to enjoy it. You're there to create it. This is what God has made us to be, or creators of atmosphere. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is a commodity that has its origins in heaven, and it is coming to the earth. And it's coming to the earth through vessels, tri tributaries that are you. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The effervescence of God's knowledge, God's glory is meant to come through you as an individual. So you, my question is, how's that going? Can you shift a room? Can you shift a car? Like, can, can you shift 
your yourself? <laughs> or do you wait till that atmosphere wears off? Or I just can't wait to get to church and sit under that worship because uh, I'm having a really hard week. You know, and there's a place in your life where maybe you, that's all you can hope for. You don't know the dynamics of how to change an atmosphere, how to change a room, how to, how to, how to bring others into it, but, but you know enough to enjoy it when it's there. Right. And that's a great first step. Correct. But God has more than that for you. And he's assigned us the responsibility to do this. But what we're doing, we're on a journey to realize the power of what we have. I remember a few years ago, some of us were in Munich and uh, for one of the gatherings there. And I, it was a great event. But I remember the, um, the founder of YWAM, and I always forget his name. Lauren Cunningham, yeah. He got up for like six minutes got up for six minutes and that man began to talk for six minutes he didn't even say anything you know that great but I'm telling you that room that sat about 5,000 people dramatically shifted and I was in awe of that I thought I thought the volume of life that's coming through this man is absolutely epic no wonder he's a global figure in the body of Christ And the point is this, on the other side of the curtain where God lives in heaven, the amount of spiritual atmosphere that's available to us is beyond our imagination. It could fill the earth in a second a million times over if if there were just enough open valves. You ever been in a hot house and you're thinking, man, is the air conditioning on? It's so hot here. And you go to one room and like, like the bathroom right over the, the furnace in the basement and that room is like freezing, right? And then you think, okay, we need to adjust the vents so to get a, an equilibrium around the house to change the atmosphere in a suitable way. Well, this is what God is trying to do. He says, look at, I want to fill Spruce Grove. I want to fill Edmonton. I want to fill Alberta. I want to fill Canada. But here's what you got. You got some regions with vents wide open and others with none. That's actually the way it happens. So when I went over to Latvia for the first time and I entered into that atmosphere, it's like, holy, what is this? There was stuff that had that was responsible for that atmosphere, political ideologies, past sins, darkness of all kinds that create an opportunity. For darkness to prevail. But when darkness to prevail, it's not just an enigmatic nothingness. It literally also comes from a source. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the sources of life and the sources of death. That the gates, uh, or the battle of the kingdoms, is really the battle of gates. It is the access points, and whenever we see horrific Horrendous things happening in in nations. Historically, we've seen that. World War II, we see Nazi Germany. We see, uh, you know, uh, Southeast Asia. We see these moments. Rwanda, who could forget in more recent days, Rwanda, the murderous mayhem. And you see movies about this and you you watch this. The people themselves are amazed at what happened to their nation. They're like, what happened to us? What is this thing, this shadow that came over our nation and turned us into animals? 
Like, what is this brutality? Where is its origins? We used to live at peace with our neighbors and, you know, the, the, the different racial divides that were there. Like, we loved these people. They were our neighbors. We had barbecues together. Next thing you know, we're caught up in this fury. I remember hearing about uh, a couple of years ago when the Vancouver Canucks had lost in the finals for the playoffs, suddenly... There's riots in Vancouver. And you think, well, yeah, there are animals there. <laughs> Hold on to your judgments. While Vancouver may not be the best place in the world, it may not be the most spiritual place, they may have a, a socialist bent to them, this was beyond the pale. Furthermore, furthermore, one of the testimonies that struck me as interesting was there was a young Christian guy from the valley. He was out from out Abbotsford, Chilliwack way. Christian kid. And he was there, and he's being charged for vandalism and destruction and for, you know, his involvement in this riot. And he's, of course, he's sorrowful. He's repentant. But he's sitting there thinking, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. That wasn't me. But something, something in the atmosphere made this seem like the right thing to do. Ignited the impulses to do these things. I'd never had that happen before. If you actually talk to people who are in jail for murder. You know, there's, there's occasionally people who have, you know, repeatedly murdered. But often case, there are people who, I don't know what happened. That wasn't me. I'm not quite like, uh, yeah, I'm not a good guy, right? But I don't know what happened here. Well, I'll tell you what happened. You open a gate in your life, and you opened it again and again and again and again, and that gate uh, allowed a, a larger gate and a larger and a larger gate, and out of you came this murderous spirit because you don't know how to close that gate. See, the kingdom of heaven, the warfare between these two kingdoms is about gates. And what we're here for on Sunday morning, we're here to open a gate so that the other one can't open. The picture you have is that confrontation of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And you know the story well. I'm not going to turn to it here. But on Mount Carmel, uh, the nation for some time has been under the dark oppression of Jezebel's sorceries and witchcraft. We know well about that figure, and she's representative of a particular kind of spirit that's loosed onto the lands. And why is that spirit loose? Because the people in the land cooperate with that spirit and align themselves with that spirit inadvertently. So here's the thing. Principalities and powers are looking for an open door, and they start by accruing the opening and the right to open by every little bit that every individual in that place gives them. Every moment of allegiance, every moment of, of, of aligning with that spirit is, is um, a commodity accruement, if you will. It's, something is being gathered here to create a larger and larger opportunity. Because what happened in Hitler's Germany didn't happen all of a sudden. What happened in, in uh, Southeast Asia that consumed the world, what happened in China at the revolution, what happened, what's happening right now in the inner cities of the United States is unto something as horrific as those things. Yeah. 
people in the inner cities are giving themselves to an alignment with a demonic spirit that's allowing gates to open. And if you go to different places in the United States and Canada and Europe, you're going to find a concentration of an atmosphere that's extremely dark. And you go there and you think, where did this come from? A little here, a little here, a little here, a little here, a little here. We, first of all, have to be ones who don't participate in the opening of those gates, but we have to be participating in the opening of the gate of heaven. And the power that we have as Christians is this. Like Elijah, when he saw this darkness on the land, and he's waiting for an opportunity. And uh, there's so many factors that go into this. I can't explain it all today. Because you might wonder, well, isn't God sovereign? Can't God just do what he wants? Like, he just, there's faithful Elijah, there's faithful prophets being persecuted, being run into the, 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 the hills, and they're hiding in caves, and, and all this stuff is happening. Jezebel and Ahab are prevailing. Like, this is God's people. How has this happened? God's not deciding that. The people are. The people are, well, yeah, but some of them aren't. Like, who decides which? <laughs> the passivity, the complacency, the, the those who are willing to go along, you know, for the sake of their business, their little, you know, uh, maybe their their little farm, their little corner store, their their uh, uh, leather tanning business. They wanted to survive and be. You know, I don't want to be too controversial because you know the people here they they like the idolatry stuff. I'm not personally an idolater, but you know what, my my economics say that I shouldn't speak too much. Because then I'll get isolated. They'll boycott me. And so there's, there's a suppression of the voices of righteousness in the land. And there's a rising of evil because of the cowardice in that, and the lack of action, the lack of righteousness, and the lack of faith. There is power. So God is actually looking at this. And you know what? He, he's needing to teach the people. He can't just do it. There are times when he'll come and rescue because for his own name's sake. But what he wants to do is teach the people. So he's like, he's like, I can't come and rescue you right now because you'll turn around and do the same thing 20 years again, 20 years from now. So you have to learn. You have to learn and get so dissatisfied with the level of darkness that's coming on the land that something in your heart begins to cry out to me. And when there's enough across the land of hearts that are crying out, now I can begin to act. I always wondered, like, God, why did you wait so long? There's Elijah. He could have done that. Like, he could have had a Mount Carmel experience, could have called those uh, Ashtaroth or whatever prophets they were and the Baal prophets and, and gathered them up and killed them all, you know, cleansed the land. But the Lord said, yeah, but, but you don't realize the, the, the Jezebel government of the day was the pinnacle of evil, but the foundation of it was the hearts of all the people in the land. And I can't just cut off the snake's head when the people are of a certain attitude. I've got to change the hearts of the people. Otherwise, you cut the head off and another one will just grow back. So God is dealing with the nation at this time. But the point is this. There is authority in as much as there's capacity and faith in the people in different jurisdictions and different places, like Spruce Grove, to say, yes. to say, here, the gate of heaven is going to be open. Well, here's what the Lord has done with us here. And I, if you don't know the history of this church, 
I can't explain it all to you, but the Lord gave us a prophetic word a long time ago through Bob Jones that we were called to influence this region 150 miles in every direction. Now, what does that mean? That means not privilege. That means responsibility. That means when you worship, the average church is worshiping for their own breakthrough. They're drawing near for themselves so that they can experience a moment for themselves, for that day, for that week, for their Sunday. But when God says, I'm making you a spiritual regional authority, that means I'm putting the responsibility on you for breakthrough for the entire region so that the powers of darkness that are against not just the individuals in this church, the ministries and voices and personalities represented here, but against you is the weight of that region 150 miles in every direction. That means you don't have the latitude to just come to church and sip your coffee. There's war every Sunday. And you think, Pastor Mark, can't we just have a Sunday off? Can't we just relax? Can't we just chill? You know, had a hard week. I'm tired. Yeah, me too. But it is given to us as leaders I've taken that role, that, uh, that responsibility on myself for what I do. But as a church, we've taken the responsibility to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and it's a privilege. Yes, it it's an absolute, amazing privilege to be used by God. But being used by God is not being said, hey, well done, way to go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's can you endure the heat of the fire? Can you, like, I don't understand. And I remember, I remember when the God was teaching me this. And I remember going up to a church in Peace River one time. I was traveling out of Vancouver, went up there, and, and I go to this church, and I'm thinking, they start worshiping, and boom, the presence of God comes so strong. It's so amazing. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is not fair. <laughs> the level of maturity... And the, the place where this church is at, which I could feel in the spirit, that's part of my gifting, does not deserve this kind of presence. Like, like God, we, we, we have much more maturity, much greater faith in, in, in church design in Vancouver, David Demian and Getting Chu and all these leaders involved in international ministry. We have to fight like crazy to get this kind of fresh air. And the, and the Lord says, yeah, but because of this dynamic... The weight of the world is not against them. Only the weight of their personal journeys. So it's much the easier. The breakthrough comes through easier. And it needs to. Otherwise, they would be crushed. They're not able to stand against the weight that I've assigned against that church over there. The churches are not the same. An apostolic church that's called to make breakthroughs in a region has by nature a certain hindrance against it. And so we don't have the luxury of having a Sunday off. In fact, you don't even have the luxury of having any day off. Seriously, if we want to do this effectively, we need to treat every day as a day where we need a breakthrough. I, I remember going to Poland one time. I wasn't going to say Poland, but it was the hardest trip I ever had. It felt like concrete was being poured over my head every second, all day long, and I could barely keep myself from slipping into the darkness of depression. I mean, the, the heaviness of it. I prayed in tongues all day long, and I, and I, but I couldn't pray in tongues all night long. I had to sleep, and I wake up in the morning, and of course, the accrued 
weight of that heaviness was against me, and I would get up, and I didn't want to leave the room. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to go and speak at the conference. I didn't want to travel a half hour and go to that church. I just wanted to sit here, watch Polish television, which I didn't understand, and sip my coffee. That's what I wanted to do. But, you know, when you're the one speaking, you got to get up and you got to go. But that's the, that's the reality. Amazing atmospheres don't appear accidentally out of nowhere. They appear because somebody breaks through. Somebody provides an alternate. Somebody doesn't wait for the breakthrough. They are the breakthrough. And God has called us to be a breakthrough church, which means we can't give ourselves the liberties that we'd like to. It's not just because I'm high maintenance. (laughs) It's not because of my need for a certain atmosphere. It's because of what hangs in the balance. No. I could say so much. I, I, love, I, I didn't realize how much I love talking about this. This is so fun. I love this. But in Matthew chapter 16, it says, uh, when Jesus came into the region, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? The son of, I, the son of man, am. And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, Others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, I've I've told you this before, and I'm going to tell you again and again and again, because this is a piece of cornerstone revelation for the advancement of the kingdom of God on the earth. And we need to understand the dynamics of what's really happening here. All right? Are you with me? So Peter says... Simon Peter, verse 16, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, let's again be absolutely clear. Jesus, when Jesus is asking for uh, a question, when he's asking you a question, he's not seeking information. All right? He's saying, what can you bring? What can you bring? Like, because... The model of his discipleship was not you having the right answers. That was the Pharisees. The Pharisees got this form of theology that all that really matters is you have the right theological verses. And there's whole sections of the body of Christ who operate on that paradigm. They're more interested in the correct answers, and they know nothing about manifestation of presence and atmosphere. And so, so Jesus, being the one who said, at another point in John 7, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. He's not interested in academically correct and full. Right. He's wondering, what's going to come out of you? I'm looking for a commodity. I'm looking for the knowledge of the glory of God, the, the, uh, the essence of what is in heaven coming to earth and out of you. This is what I want to see. Not just, you know, have you deduced that I'm more than a prophet? Have you deduced that I'm more than just an average, good, faithful, Judaic believer? And when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus felt the power of revelation in those words. When he said, this is not correct information, though it's correct information. 
But there's life in this. Oh. He said, Peter. Woohoo. First time. Been with you guys how long? First time. You're finally catching what this is really about. So he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now let me break that down. There are two gates. And, and you know what? You think, well, I'm a Christian. I only drink from the one, whatever. All right, just read the book of James. But the book of James, he's talking about, he said, listen, uh, it's, it's, you guys are speaking, cursing, and blessing out of the same mouth. He said, don't you realize that the tongue is set on the fire, uh, it sets on fire the courts of hell? Why is he talking about hell? He said, he's saying, listen, when you speak out of envy, out of strife, out of hostility, you are in fact opening an aperture that is not the gate of heaven. Let me put it that way. Ah, yeah. What are we supposed to be? What is going to win the battle? This is what, this is what happens when, when we, whether individually or collectively, cross over that threshold where something opens up here, we're opening a gate of heaven. Now, the nature of who we are means it's a big gate. If you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, you ever seen those cities with the massive gates like Mordor? You know, they, get, they need these orcs and they're, they're, you know, these trolls, to, to five of them or six of them, to push open these huge gates. The gate that has been created over the last 40 years of this church's history is a large gate because of the input of ministers. And you think, well, yeah, but I wasn't here then. doesn't matter. There's spiritual infrastructure in the ground that relates to destiny. It is here regardless of whether you understand it. But what Jesus saw in this, he said, this is the key, Peter. When you operate, when you get something revealed from my Father, all right, I get this, my Father's in heaven. When you get a revelation, an insight from him, directly from him, not deduction, not just repeating and parroting and mimicking the information that you know is pl- people want to hear, but when you actually individually make that connection, you receive from something from the Lord and release it, you're actually opening a channel between here and there. And the commodity that's coming in is the only commodity that will set back the kingdom of darkness. That's why the Bible talks about the futility of forms of godliness. Forms of godliness are a physical uh, uh, chameleon orientation in man that causes us to want to do or say the things that we feel appropriate to do and say. But it has no power. It doesn't have the power. It's not a gate that opens. It's a mimicking of a gate opening. And that has nothing. And so, but here's what, the church across the nations has been trained in just singing the songs and enjoying the melodies and the ascetic beauty of the music 
And then basking on, you know, in some second-hand emotional response. But the gate of heaven is not opened. When what God is doing in churches all around the world is he's training people the way Jesus trained his disciples. That we're not here to pray orthodoxical prayers. Prayers that have the right biblical content. Prayers that are punctuated with the name of Jesus. Prayers that, that, that are the proper crescendo of passion where we've mimicked the crescendo of zeal. I don't care about the delivery, the language, the, the theology of your prayer. It either has life and opens a door or it doesn't. God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and truth because worship in spirit and truth is the only thing that changes the atmosphere of a city. And this is the hope we have, that if we just faithfully do that, nothing will by any means hurt us. But the same warfare that was on me in Poland, the same warfare that's on you every, you know, Sunday morning is the hardest morning to get up. Sunday morning is the hardest time because you're, you're, you're maybe you're irritated, the kids are snarky, on and on it goes. I remember hearing somebody saying, you know, the argument on the way to church is almost like a family tradition. Why? Because all of the warfare of the enemy is not to keep you from going to church, not to keep you from doing religious observances, not to keep you from dressing appropriately, but to keep you from opening that gate. Because at the end of the day, whether we go through the correct routine here and and have the nice songs and sing them correctly and it's all in tune and it's smooth and it's nice, but nothing opens, we've done nothing. God is looking for people who know how to open the gate of heaven. That's what we're called to. That's, what, that's, what, that's, that's the only thing that's going to prevail. So this is, this is the cornerstone of what it means to be the church. And it's why Jesus said, listen, if you do this, if you keep doing this, if this, this activity is repeated in your life, Peter, the gates of Hades will not prevail. So why does he say the gates? Because, like Mount Carmel, when Elijah, you know, he gave them, said, you guys go ahead. But, you know, it's, gonna, it's futile. Because uh, God has sent me here, and there's already an atmosphere, there's already a presence. Go ahead, cut yourselves. You know, yell all you want all day. You know, fasting, you know, blood is being spewed out. He said, you know, your God is not going to be able to manifest. The powers and principalities that you have been accustomed to seeing materialize when you do this kind of thing. And believe me, they, they knew how to manifest darkness the same way Pharaoh's sorcerers did too. They knew how to do this. The confrontation was open and real. And they never would have agreed to a, a challenge of manifestation if they hadn't regularly done that before. You have to realize what was at stake. This is not just sleight of hand, magicians, you know, uh, uh, Las Vegas kind of light shows. This is real demonic powers materializing in the physical. We might not be there right now in North America, but it is the aim of the principalities and powers. 
Right now, as we speak, the concerted effort of, of the darkness, of the powers of darkness in our, in our land are trying to create opportunities for the gates of hell to open. Everything that's happening is about causing the gates of hell to open so that this land will be filled with darkness. And the only thing standing between them and us is a people that decide, I'm coming to church on Sunday, I'm showing up at prayer, and I'm going to shun die until the atmosphere changes. I'm not going to satisfy some emotional need to be at church for 20 minutes or half an hour or go to prayer occasionally. I am going for a breakthrough. Because I know the difference between the manifestation of the anointing and his presence and religious observances. The church that does not know the difference between religious observances and the manifestation of God is an ineffective, futile effort. No matter what your sincerity level might be. And so we're, we're recruiting today. We're recruiting here Do you understand what you're giving yourself to? Do you understand what's at stake? Do you understand the darkness that could enter this land? You see, the fact is this, that God is going to have a church increasingly as we go into the end days that can manifest his presence. But there's no guarantee it's going to be here unless we are the ones who say, I will not stop. I will not give in to pride. I will not give in to self-righteousness. I will not faint when it comes to these moments. I will not consider it ridiculous to pound the ground, to shout, to declare his name, to worship him with all my heart. Because God, I live for you to manifest. And not just so I can have a nice feeling. Not just so the heaviness can leave me for another couple of days. Because there's far more that hangs in the balance. The whole next generation. And so you are on a journey today. God is training you to shift atmospheres. So can you do it? Can you do it in a room? Where did you start? How did you start doing this? I just discovered that if I went into a room by myself, no matter how I felt, I could begin praying in tongues and worshiping and declaring scripture. And about 30 minutes in, boom, the atmosphere changes and something appears that wasn't here before. And suddenly the the hope of a future, all of the cascading pressures that were coming down to me are nothing. Because I did that 10 times. A hundred times, five hundred times, a thousand times over the course of years. A skill set, a faith, a, a, a confidence grew that I don't have to, I don't have to bow to that atmosphere. So Father, today I pray that we'd be a people who win the gates battle, who open the gate of heaven. Father, 
It doesn't matter what the enemy carries, what he can do, what he can't do. If the church just does what it is designed to do, if the church just bees what it's designed to be, from Genesis 28, when J- Jacob went there, he saw the angels ascending and descending. He felt the thrill of the voice of God, the promise. He felt, felt the energy of a presence, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. We are called to be the gate of heaven so father we take on the charge we take on the call we will we will grow we will develop we will learn to overcome both for ourselves for our children for our community for our neighborhood for our city for our nation and everybody said amen Amen. well praise god Well, we get to hear from some people right now just that have gone on a bit of a journey and they've been able to go into some other nations and have the opportunity just to see how God moves and how God touches people. So Joel Mitchell, why don't you come up first? Uh, We'll get you to share a little bit. Joel went to uh, Kampala, Uganda, and from there he went out and did a lot of ministry. So why don't you just share? Sure. I just want to start today by commending this church. So this organization, Giving Refugees Hope in Uganda, a lot of what they have accomplished over there through Patrick, through Prince and the people on the ground is because of the giving and the generosity of this church. So I want to commend you guys. Um, Vernon wouldn't stop talking about a 2019 trip um, that some of you were on. And the differences between 2019 and 2023 was stark. So there was things that were just ideas back then that are in full force today. There is a children's home with, I believe, 17. Is it 17? 18. There's 18 orphans who are in a children's home that has been heavily funded by our church. Um, there's three mamas that look after them and they are, they are fed. They go to school. They're taken care of. They are secure and safe. And there is a medical center that's going to absolutely take care of the entire region. Potentially 300 people a day are going to go through this clinic, and it's going to service about 400,000 people in an entire region. And a lot of that is because the generosity of this church and churches around North America. So what I saw is the acceleration of the giving of the kingdom of God that allowed whole regions to change. So it was absolutely beautiful. We went to church twice. I got to preach, (laughs) which was scary and terrifying, but it was also amazing. Um, I think kind of what Pastor Mark is, is saying is that what happens to us in this church is that we get saturated with the atmosphere, but when we actually go out into other places, you understand the training that we've been given, (laughs) right? So I encourage you, if there's future trips, whether it's to Feviva, whether it's to Uganda, whether Mark and Cam and Chris are going around the world, I encourage you to jump on board and get on the same page as this because it's going to change your life. You're going to realize that you have a skill set that you didn't know that you have and that you can be an atmosphere changer around the world. But it was beautiful. We went to a refugee camp. We went to schools. The Edmonton Soccer Association gave 120 soccer jerseys or football 
And so we held two different tournaments, and the kids were over the moon. It was, it was a really good time. We squeezed in a safari. We squeezed in whitewater rafting. <laughs> but it was a lot of, uh, we went door to door a lot. We heard really heartbreaking stories. But the beauty in it is that we got to see the success stories. When the women um, in the refugee camp, they go through sewing school, salon school, which is funded by people like us and churches like us, it literally changes their entire family tree and their entire lives. So we saw the desolate women that were coming out of sexual abuse, husbands murdered, fled their country, desperation. And then we saw the ones who... Just a few short years later, they have a business. They're starting to take care of their family. Their children are fed every day, and they don't fear the next day. So I encourage you. I know that this church has given mightily and wonderfully. I encourage you to learn more and get involved. I know that it's changed our perspective on giving from, oh, we'll just wait till Patrick preaches, and maybe we'll slip something in the offering to how can we partner with this moving forward. So I encourage you to find out more. Uh, Just lastly, because I know that Talia is going to watch this eventually. Um, The way that God works through Patrick in this ministry is by divine encounters. Everywhere we went, it was amazing how people get connected. So during COVID, this woman named Talia from Ontario, her mother's maiden name is Brisebois, And she randomly on Facebook saw our church come across speaker Mark Brisebois. And she goes, oh, well, I'm kind of a Brisebois. So she watched. She and Patrick preached shortly after, a couple of Sundays later. She got connected with the ministry and sponsors children. And she came on this trip and got to be on the ground and see God move. On the trip, we were on the safari. And there was a couple of Mzungus, which means white people. And the Lord said, go speak to them. And I said, well, they're kind of talking. He goes, now. So I said, okay. So I went and I interrupted their conversation. Turns out they're Canadian. Turns out they're Albertan. Turns out that um, the wife on the trip is a global national reporter trying to do a story on refugees in Uganda and has no contacts or ins. (laughs) And I said, have you met Patrick? (laughs) And she was like tears in her eyes, couldn't believe that the story had manifested. She did an expose on Patrick and went into uh, Kampala with us and visited a, a lady named Jolie who got saved from the camp. And so God is moving powerfully every corner of the earth. <laughs> so thank you for covering us and blessing us. My understanding is that trips are going to potentially start happening yearly or bi-yearly, I encourage you to get involved and learn more. Well, Father, we ask, Lord, that your sovereign nature would extend beyond the borders of Canada and our own little world. We pray, Father, and I witnessed people worshiping your name in the churches, Father, and it was beautiful. Your name will be praised in every nation on the earth. Your spirit will cover like the waters over the earth. So we pray for Giving Refugees Hope in Uganda and Patrick and the team that the good work of the kingdom would continue to happen that the favor and blessing of connections and finances and government officials on their side, we pray that it would
would continue and manifest like a flood in the region. And we pray that you would rescue widows and orphans because that is your heart, Jesus. So cover them in your grace and blessing. Amen. evangelist over here might have to preach on a Sunday, right? Dang, something's going on there. Plant a seed, watch it grow. We planted a seed, and now we're seeing the growth of it. It's the way it works. And so let's continue to invest. Let's continue to plant. And as we do that, we will see the fruit. That is so powerful. All right, so four of us had the opportunity to go to Georgia. We got to go and visit our missionary, Anthony Hammer who's been there, is it, for 27 years, 23 years, which is absolutely amazing. So we've had him come here and share his stories time after time after time. But to actually be on the ground with Anthony and to see him functioning, to see how he rolls, to see how Lolly rolls as, rolls as well was absolutely amazing and powerful. So, Nathan, why don't you come up first? Uh, you know, and, and just to say to Nathan, Mark, and I actually had the opportunity as well to go to Poland for three days before we went to Georgia. And so some of that may come into this as well, because I know that impacted Nathan and it definitely impacted myself, too. Yeah, so I wrote a few things down here. Um, the first thing God worked on in me of being away from my family for just over two weeks, the longest May and I have been apart um, for since we've been married or together is not very long, like four days since we've been married. Especially, I've never been away from Nova more than maybe two. So that was an extreme challenge, and God really spoke to me of how much love that I have for my family, and that's something that I keep praying for over and over, is God, please help me or increase my love for my family. And he really showed me how much my prayer has paid off or how much I truly care. And I would urge everyone to pray for that over their, for more love over their spouses and their kids. Um, as well as, well, speaking of um, Mark speaking on World War II, Chris and I in Poland went to Auschwitz, the concentration camp, the biggest one ever built, where 1.1 million lives were lost in, within a five-year period. Every day, thousands of people would come in by train. Especially what was hard for me was women and children, or children and women with kids were sent right to the gas chambers to be murdered. And seeing pictures of these kids and little girls, Nova's age, was extremely hard. It brought me to tears a little bit. And the fascinating thing is seeing how God worked through concentration camps of one of the leaders of Auschwitz, one of the SS, was a photographer by trade, and he took pictures. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but the Nazis did not want any evidence of this, going through it or anything. And I believe it's from God that allowed this person to take these photos of what actually happened. Because after the war and all the trials and all this came to light they were able to use these photos to prove what happened, to have actual ed- evidence rather than just testimonies, that there was actual proof that helped put Nazis in jail. Unfortunately, not as much punishment came out of it as we would hope on this earth, but 
That's what we have to wait for God to do. And especially since Chris, hearing about Chris had some, his grandparents were both set to, sent to two different camps and seeing that we found this little booklet of people who were in Auschwitz and there was four names with Banash or Benes who were in Auschwitz. So, as well, also, worship. Um, worship for me has always been kind of hit or miss. Some days I'm really engaged, some days I'm not, and a lot of it is like sometimes when we, the, leader, or the worship team goes more with the spirit, I have a harder time connecting with that. And being in a church setting where they're worshiping God, not in English, <laughs> is a bit of a challenge. Thankfully, there were some songs where I could recognize the tune and the way the words flow. I'm like, okay, I know what song this is. I can't remember, but... Some, one of the songs um, that the uh, pianist wrote um, was just speaking of the names of the Lord over and over again, and it was one of the most powerful songs I have ever sung. I, I did my best, because I, I could pick pieces out here and there, obviously, but it was extremely hard. But, and then learning to worship more in the spirit and less than on the words was a, a lot of growth for me in that. In, in that. And... We got to pray over a family, specifically, with Anthony up in his region. Their family, I can't remember the story exactly, but what happened was outside their home, there was a huge argument after a night of alcohol and drinking and partying and whatever they were doing. It ended in the result of a big fight breaking out. And the son of the family we visited, he lost his life. And so did another gentleman, the one that he was arguing with. And the, the police figured that it was the father who lost his son, and he's in prison now, and there's waiting a trial going on to find out the results of what happened and then the trust that they have to have in their system to find out who did it and find the truth in the matter. And that was... One of the hardest, well, the hardest prayer thing that I've ever done over someone was about immediate death. That wasn't too long ago. And we were invited into the house, and they were so welcoming. They throw, were going to throw food at us. Like, oh, please, no. We, we've been eating so much in Georgia. We are so full because their portion sizes are huge. And Chris always talked about, all oh, the breads. So much bread. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I learned a lot on this trip, and I was very thankful to be a part of it. And seeing Anthony in his environment was so amazing. And I missed one day due to like the road was like, oh, okay, we have like 300 kilometers to travel. I'm like, oh, that shouldn't be bad. Like it's an eight-hour drive. Um, what? <laughs> Just how elevated and how high we were. We could see clouds at eye level. Yeah. That's how high we were in the air in the mountains. It just blew me away. Tons of pictures and stuff. Um, especially Chris. He's a bit of a phone photographer. <laughs> he's always got his phone out taking pictures. <laughs> so, yeah. God moved a lot. And seeing him move in other countries, especially in the youth in Georgia, and that's why we were there. And youth for them was like small kids up to like 25, 30. So their youth age range is huge. And seeing God work in them and um, those youth 
in worship, how much they pour their heart out to the Lord was, was really amazing to see. That's good. I may talk a little bit about that next week because it's one of the things that I, I really thought was powerful is watching leaders from around the nations come to a conference that was focused on youth and young adults because they realized something. The next generation has been missed, right? And I got to watch leaders, and I was so proud of all these leaders pouring into the next generation because that's the future of the church, amen? It's powerful. Curtis. This is going to be interesting, trying to condense uh, both... My, uh, my desire to, be, uh, to hype up the nation of Georgia, <laughs> as well as my own sort of personal testimony in this, uh, I want to sort of piggyback on what Joel had said on this in terms of commending this house. Anthony had said a few times, he said, you know, it's like, oh, it's so rare that you have like a missions-focused church. And I was like, is that us? Is that us? But I, I feel like there's something actually like prophetic in what he was saying. And there's also something for us to actually catch where perhaps we're not like, constantly sending missions teams on things, but we're actually doing this fairly regularly. And it is, it is worth partnering with the spirit of God in terms of sending people into regions. There are things that it will do in your own heart. And there are ways that you can touch those regions and it's, it's very significant. So I, I agree. I encourage you to, to hop on this. And I agree from the perspective of let's talk about hopping on to like going to Georgia. So it was, it was very, very cool to get to see Anthony and his wife, Lolly, in their element. A uh, little bit of background. Um, so Anthony, as, as we mentioned, he was uh, sent, he, well, he went out from this house in July of 1989 to find his mission field. Three months later, I was born. Um, but uh, he, uh, he went and, and, uh, and eventually found Georgia. And, and he's been there for 23 years. The region that he's in is in the north of Georgia. It's a region called Svaneti. Uh, it's, it's named for the, the Svan people. And uh, they are, they're interesting because they have their own culture and their own language. Uh, and getting to come into the capital city of Georgia and travel up to the Svaneti region is, is a very interesting uh, dichotomy between like the urban and the rural. Because the urban side, the capital city of Tbilisi is actually, it's just like a great city, honestly. Um, we got the, uh, the location of our hotel was kind of at the launching point of where there were lots of touristy things to do. And so we did a lot of walking and just exploring and what an amazing country. Um, it feels very Western in a lot of ways and then Eastern in some other ways. Traffic is one of those other ways. Uh, but it's actually, it's still mostly normal. People mostly stay between the dotted lines, but uh, you know, you just kind of start crossing the road wherever and you just let cars kind of go past you as you go and have to get used to that a little bit. Um, the, the cuisine there, I want to hype up because it is delicious. There, I've gotten to travel to lots of nations in the world, and very few times have I actually said, like, the cuisine of this place is worth, worth mentioning. But everything is spiced so well. They have one of their local dishes that's uh, available basically everywhere called kinkali, which is like a, a dumpling that has this, like, knot of dough at the top, and you, like, grab it by the knot of dough, and you bite into it and slurp out all the juices and, like, eat the dumpling around and leave the little knot. And we had... There was like ones with potato in it, one with mushrooms, one with meat, uh, juices and stuff. Uh, it was awesome. So, uh, yeah, go for the food. <laughs> um, when we traveled up to 
to uh, Svaneni region and to the village of Etsiri, um, you get this, first off, these gorgeous vistas. Once we were up in the village, like, and on the way, I was, I kept saying, like, man, if I was the location scout for, like, a fantasy film or something, I'd just, just come here. Just shoot here. Because everywhere we'd see these, like, you know, these rolling green hills. We're up in the mountains. Rolling green hills. There's a cloud over there. And then, like, there's ice-capped mountains in the background. I'm just like, this is... Uh, you know, every, every frame of painting kind of like just, this is just gorgeous. Um, and then in the region, uh, there's still like fairly modern contrivances and stuff. Electricity is free up there because they want to encourage people to stay in the region. But there's also a very different kind of feel in terms of the level of hope in comparison. Um, and even throughout throughout our times, like there's lots of jokes that happened around, like you know, oh, people, you know, winning winning a visa to come to the Americas and stuff. It's like okay, so even though in the urban regions there's a little bit more hope, there's industry, there's all that stuff. There is there's still a little bit of that, like okay, we're we're gonna leave. It's I've been to Ireland. Ireland, I think, actually has that a little bit worse than when than Georgia does. But um, in the in the rural regions uh, in Svaneti, their culture. There's a lot of stuff around like revenge, you know, the the story that Nathan shared with the murder, the the mother of that of that house is like actively wants revenge on the other family that's involved and and what Anthony is doing in that region is bringing life through the gospel. Now what's really interesting is Georgia is a very like it's a Christian country. It's been a Christian country since like, you know, the fifth century like it's it's christianity is ancient there and so there's actually a bit of an understanding of the bible and so anthony is able to use the language that they understand to say like look vengeance is the lord's even to say like if you if you're trying to get revenge like you're actually stealing from the lord and there's anthony's gift is actually he he comes into these cultures and he and he starts to like understand the culture and learn from the culture and he's been writing all of these short stories that are almost like legends of like things in the area and like the mountains and stuff and he 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 explained this one story uh that he had written and he was talking to his friend up in in the spaghetti area and he was like oh anthony you like you understand us and I'm like that's that's so so cool. And Anthony has said his anointing is opening doors in, in Spanetti. And I want to echo that from the perspective of like, I feel like it's been, it's been years since like an official delegation from our church. Is like, this is the first time that we've actually gone, right? He's been there for 23 years. And there have been people from our church who have gone, but like, this is the first time that it's like, you know, we've had pastors go and leaders go. So uh, I want to see that open again. Um, watching Lolly kick into high gear in their in their guest house that they run up there is also amazing. She just like, I don't know how she does all the things that she does. It's so good. So they're actually in a sh- season where they're shifting and they're going to be moving into the capital. Um, so, uh, but they're still going to have a connection and there's still going to be ministry running up in in the in the Svaneti region. So I want to go. Uh, yeah, we're looking at where Chris and I need to talk about ideas of like in the future. Okay. Personal testimony time. I'll try and make this brief. As we were driving up, one minute. As we were driving up, Chris was reading this leadership book and he goes through it and he's reading this story and he asked this question from the story. He just asked me, he's like, do you have a fear of failure? I was like, yeah. And then he asked Mark. He's like, Mark, do you have a fear of failure? And Mark's like, no, not really. And Chris was like, how do you, how do you get to that point? And Mark was like, well, it kind of depends on how much you care about what other people think about you. 
And this set a tone for me for the whole thing because I, I admitted very quickly, I'm like, I care a lot about what people think about me. I want people to like me so bad. Uh, and through the whole trip, I just kept thinking about how Jesus made himself of no reputation. And there was like, there's something that was working on me even as I was being like, when we went to the church where we were having the conference and Mark was like introducing us and Mark was like, you know, and here's, and here's Curtis. He's a musician from our church. And I'm like, I'm like, that's not inaccurate, but is that all I am? And, and, but in, in that, weirdly, on that first night, the, the, Mark called the worship team back up and their drummer wasn't there and he called me up to drum, which was kind of awkward on the first night, but I went for it. Well, on the, uh, the second last session of the conference, they had just like an open Holy Spirit worship session, which was so cool. And their drummer wasn't available. So I drummed the whole morning for like two hours. It was also really neat at the about an, the hour an hour and 50 in there was an atmosphere change and it was like the Holy spirit took over as the choir master of the worship session. And I could tell because it was like, it was like this whole panoply of, of drumming options suddenly became available to me where I had been locked in. And all of a sudden it was like, creativity is here. <gasps> this is amazing. And, and we, it lasted only about 12 minutes, but the, the church there in Georgia is like, they're catching something and they're actually shifting atmospheres in their region. So it's like, I don't know. It was an amazing trip. The Lord spoke to me a lot about like laying down my need to have a title or my need to have a defined ministry and instead just like leaning into him and going like, I don't, my reputation, I want to lay that aside and just say like, Lord, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? So anyway, amazing trip. Two things. Curtis should be about a hundred pounds heavier. This guy eats food like I've never seen before in my life, right? Bread, it doesn't matter. Bread, 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 and he eats it. I mean, dinner there isn't an hour. I mean, when you go to a restaurant, you're there from six till nine. I mean, we got up ready to go, and they were still bringing dishes. Just the way it works, and I look over, and Curtis is still eating three hours later. Um, so I know we're at our time. I'm going to try to put a little video together next week just to show you because Anthony actually uh, has uh, just sent a message to the church as well, which was such a, a privilege just to, you know, get to hear that and just to, again, just to see him in, in, in Georgia and how he rolls was absolutely amazing. I'll say this. They have a statue in Georgia, and it's over Tbilisi. And it's a statue of a lady holding a bowl in one hand. And it's interesting because when I think of Anthony and Lolly, they're servers. And that's what the bowl represented, is that that nation will serve you, right? It's what it represents. And so I watched those two. They serve, and they serve, and they serve, and they serve. The amount of people that were coming through their house where we were there was insane, right? They had a team, I think, of 16 South Africans. They had a Czech team. They had a Polish team. You know, and they're constantly feeding them at different times. And I watched, and I'm telling you, Lolly didn't have to say much to me, but she preached to me because she had a heart of servanthood. But the amazing thing about this statue is, in the other hand, is a sword. You got to remember in 2008, right? They were bombed by the Russians. A lot's gone on in that nation. But it was interesting because I felt like this conference we went to, we were actually there to war for the nation. And the sword meant this, is if you come, we'll serve you. But if you want to fight, we'll fight you. 
And I felt like we were there and we were actually fighting and pushing back against the enemy. And it was so powerful. And I will say this, I was blown away by where their worship is at today. Powerful. There was one leader specifically who could just go into the throne room. And it was so beautiful to see in this small country of Georgia, right, how easy it was to go into the throne room. They have caught the spirit of God, some of them, and it's going to just explode in that nation, and I believe that with all my heart. Uh, And lastly, I'll just say this. Uh, It'll be hard for me to talk about it because I don't want to cry, but Auschwitz was uh, a game changer for me. Again, because, yes, my grandparents both were in concentration camps, and when Nathan found that book with uh, my, my name in it, right, it was a very uh, moving time for me. And uh, I learned a lot about my family and what they went through. And it was as if God wrote a book for me while I was there. And I feel like a movie could be written about family lines and what my family went through. And just to see myself standing here today, freed of all that stuff. All that bondage, all that pain, all that hurt. My son knows nothing of it. And so I say that to say this. I got to see the heart of our God. This is what he does. He's a redeemer. And he has redeemed our family line who has come through hell and back. Powerful. Do you want to say anything before we pray for fathers here? And close? Yeah, quickly. Quickly, quickly, just because I won't be here next week, and I'll forget about all this, but, you know, one of the things that struck me is the geographic location of Georgia, which is, it's actually, it's bordered by uh, Turkey, uh, Russia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and one country away, one country separates them from Iraq and Iran, so it, it really is a unique place in the world. Um, and uh, and I, I just, uh, on, on the side of missions, you know, every time I go out overseas, I, I'm being sent as a missionary. Uh, I, you know, my calling is not to build, you know, Bible colleges or plant churches or, or children's homes, but we're spreading a seed of a revelation of the kingdom that, uh, that we had the opportunity to disperse in the nation of Georgia. And I believe it's going to create, in time, a different kind of, of a different quality of faith and worship. And it was delightful to see that where we landed was a place where there was significant worship already, which uh, it, was, it was really delightful. So we're going to see if the Lord maybe brings us back again. That same church is planting churches in the region and in Greece, and so there might be some opportunity to get around to some of those places. So um, anybody want to travel? Hallelujah. Fathers, why don't you stand up? And when I say fathers, I also mean spiritual fathers, right? You know, I preached a while ago about this, and I always think again, you know, of Philemon. And again, uh, Onesimus was a spiritual son because he had a spiritual father. Right, And so again, I know some of you don't have kids, but you are spiritual fathers in the house too. And so we want to include you when we pray for you. But uh, I just want to say before Pastor Mark Marks says anything is, I'm so thankful for the fathers in this house. Uh, I just want to say I- I'm blessed to know you. I'm blessed to have had the privilege to walk with you. And the influence you've had on my life, I'm just looking around the room, is substantial. And I just want to say don't, 
don't ever doubt the influence that you have and the influence that you carry. It's quite impactful. And uh, some of you, as I just look at you throughout the years that we've spent here and how you have fought through so much, and again, maybe you haven't used words, but again, just watching you fight through life, journey through the hard stuff, worship God and raise your hands Sunday after Sunday has spoken volumes and volumes and volumes to me, and I know it's spoken volumes to others. So I just want to bless you as fathers, and I'm very thankful for you. Amen. I just want to declare over you that, uh, that on the, while you are aware of your failures, your weaknesses, your defects, you stand for something every time you stand. You stand for something every time you go to work and you provide for your family. You stand for something every time you pick up uh, with your tired hands and in weary bodies a task in your home. So I bless you, fathers, today, and I want to say in Jesus' name that the relentless assault against you will not prevail, that we are paying it forward to see another generation rise who will take what we've done imperfectly and do it better. But Father, that does not mean we are disqualified, that does not mean we, are, we, are, uh, we have done a bad job. I bless you, fathers. I bless you in your service. I bless you in your humility. I bless you in your worship. And I say in Jesus' name, thrive in your role. Amen.